chosen for a lot of reasons. A couple of them. Oh, they live in Cedar Rapids so we didn't have to buy them a plane ticket. They live here so we didn't have to get a hotel room. That worked for me. But most of all, because they all have their own hearts. And what's better in the world than a woman with her own heart? Do you, you realize that you violated company policy? No, sir. I just thought I was doing my job. No, you didn't do your job. No. The Steiners were the ones doing the job. They were beat. I'll tell you what. I know that you've had a tough year. About with cancer. I know. I, I don't want to hear about your personal problems. I know that you've had a tough year. But under the circumstances, I have there is I have no other choice. You are hereby terminated. <laughs> You're fired. I'm watching children. It has been decided that Hollywood Hulk Hogan must defend the world title at Super Brawl February 23rd in San Francisco. But furthermore, it's also been unanimously decided that this title opportunity be awarded to Rowdy Roddy Piper. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber. Welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, going back in the time machine to January of 1997 for Volume 2, Part 2 of this month's show. Three volumes for you this month, over four parts because of WCW. Volume 1, WWF take in the Royal Rumble. Volume 3 is all your ECW action for the month. Volume 2 is a two-parter thanks to WCW having a clash and a pay-per-view. In Part 1, you can hear the Clash of the Champions review along with the first three weeks of television and all of the news. We're coming in here at a slightly cold open for Volume 2, Part 2 looking at NWO sold out and the final WCW TV of the month. I'm being joined firstly by Peter Kimmer. Pete, hello. Evening, Bob. Evening, Doug. How are we? Uh, and Damiel. Hi, Bob. Now, no TVs, nothing to talk about for, for the pay-per-view. So, Al, kick us off with the results of NWO sold out. Certainly. Uh, starting off first, we'd get pretty much boats all night with NWO versus WCW. So, please make up your own mind who is who. First up with massive show, no defeating Chris Jericho. Big Bob Rogers beat Hugh Morris in a Mexican death match. Jeff Jarrett beat Mr. Wall Street. Buff Bagwell defeated Scotty Riggs and thus must become the best American male. Uh, Scott Flash Norton beat DDP. The Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott, they defeated the Outsiders, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, to become the new tag team champions. Eddie Guerrero beat Six in a ladder match to basically reclaim and also retain his United States Heavyweight Championship. And in the main event, there was a no contest between the champ, Hollywood Hogan, and the Giant. Pete, what do you think of this? Well, thanks for coming to me first, Dave. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> it was just something completely out of the ordinary, as it should have been. It was an NWO pay-per-view, so I think they tried to distance themselves completely from WCW in the way they produced the show, from obviously the, the ring announcer, the Miss NWO pageant that was going on in the background, the bikes, the entrance, the the, the, the weird things that are going on during the matches with the, uh, the announcer shouting things out. And I think the NWO, WCW flavour throughout the night as well, with the single alone referee all night of our good friend Nick Patrick, made it a, uh, well, a tough watch. I think we'll leave it at that for now. Del? I think I'm probably going to have a fight in my hands trying to convince everybody that this was brilliant. Uh, coming off the back, probably my favourite night, however we mentioned it in the news. It was a decent clash, but it felt big coming into this. Um, as long as there's plenty of Nick Patrick, which they're a 
going to get in spades. Um, it did certainly feel different. There wasn't a lot of brilliant wrestling action, but for a, a standalone, I thought this was very, very good. Well, Dale, fair, fair for, you know, trying. Um, I've got um, the blank white bob on. I'm going to be getting the bat and I'm going to be fighting for this. Yeah, you're going to try. Um, this was really bad. Um, this was, you know, uh, uh, the first kind of half hour, 45 minutes, there's enough kind of new things going on. It's like, this actually isn't that bad. You know, they have the, the unique entrance, the different kind of, you know, those, those three different video walls and then that big kind of stairwell down to the entrance ramp. The kind of, you know, the staging area with a band and they had, you know, commentaries from a somewhat unique vantage point. It looked very different. You're like, okay, yeah, like, yeah, you know, but this feels different. I'm not going to forget this anytime soon. It's kind of like, you know, the, the memorable nitros to a point are the ones that take place from unique looking settings. You don't forget them because they look different. This was certainly that. Um, but boy, did this show drag. Boy, did it go from, this is cool, this is funny, to fuck, this is long. And, it, you know, it's it says a lot. There's a really, really good match on this show. It really is. Um, but it, the, the show was so long in the tooth by the time we got there, and the, the presentation was so bad that up and then those bloody Miss NWO segments... We, you can't, you can't defend them, Dale. Sure, we we will get there. We open with a black and white footage of a police-led motorcade of NWO trucks. They were like rubbish dumpster trucks, if you like. Uh, NWI guys riding on the back of the trucks. At least Eric Bischoff is enjoying himself. Is this whole show going to be in black and white? I've got in my notes. I kind of wish it would have been, actually. I think that would have been quite unique. But anyway, uh, inside the motorcade is a limo and an ambulance. For what that's worth. We're back in colour. We get an otherwise archetypal NWO video package with a very, very dictator-like address from Eric Bischoff, mixed in with comments from Hall, Nash and Hogan in your typical NWO style. And that's how the main show starts. Looks like a rock concert I've got in my notes. NWO ring mat. Here is Dictator Bischoff. I have in my notes, I seriously like this so far. Does a great job making it feel like nothing like WCW. And we have Eric Bischoff and Ted DiBiase on the call. Del... Opening segment, very different, very memorable. So far, so good. Loved that. Um, loved the ring setup. It's got the the canvas. It's got the NWO logo on it. That that podium at Bischoff at the start, I thought was brilliant. It it did just feel different, and it's something that I always talk about in these shows. Where I just want things that's different because we've been struggling for a a couple of years. Um, there's no Shivani, there's no Zabisco. Eric Bischoff and DBOC I'm a bit dubious on the call for the full night but it, it's certainly different and as, a, as an opening it just done, it done that fun for me Pete? Uh, one good thing I guess from my point, I, I love Dusty Rose but he was given the night off I suppose we had them to listen to uh, Dusty's uh, weird comments and rants all night and DBOC obviously is an interesting uh, addition to the uh, the commentary table. It reminded me the um, the high sort of steps up. I think they used to do it in NWA back in sort of the late eighties, I think, and a few shows. So kind of a bit of a hark back to that maybe. And I think you're right. At the start of the show, you kind of thought, oh, hang on a minute, this is completely different. They're doing what they should be doing and making it different. Let's see where this goes. So it was a good opening segment. I completely agree. 
much like the rings, much like the steps from the stage, it's only downhill from here. From somewhere <laughs> north of the border, it's Chris Jericho versus Masahiro Chono. The entire night, there was no formal ring announcer. It was done by basically someone on the uh, arena mic. Somewhat robotic, automatic type voice, and there'd be some uh, interesting contributions from that during the show as well. Uh, in my notes, I have, I expect Nick Patrick is going to be a very busy man this evening. I at least got that bit right on the show. Chero complains about hair pulling right off the bat. Patrick gives it the response it required. Here comes Sister Sherry and Harlem Heat, the face of fear, the nasty boys, Arn Anderson, Meng and Deborah all show up in the crowd. They kind of sit on the floor section and by and large, with the odd exception, don't do anything of note for the rest of the show. Match is much of nothing so far with Chano hitting a Russian leg sweep. Jericho hits a spin kick, then comes off the top with a shoulder tackle to the outside. Nice jump back, reverse side kick from Bischoff there. He also threw in a solar plexus for those playing Bischoff bingo. That's uh, two on your line. Uh, crowd chants USA, presumably for Nick Patrick. Nobody else there. Could have been that. Uh, Jericho kicks Chano in the back of the head. Bischoff says, forget all the wrestling vernacular you hear about that. That's a ju- jump back leg round kick. That simple. <laughs> at least Bischoff's commentary is making this match interesting. Patrick doing his best to count just about too slowly. The trick with this is just to be a little too slow, and Patrick is holding his count just a little longer. We get a tight drop from Chono, who goes under the ring and pulls out a table. He unfolds it on the outside. He goes for a suplex to Jericho on the apron, but Jericho reverses it with one into the ring and follows that with a top rope drop kick. Jericho hits a lion salt from the middle of the ring. Jericho goes to the top. This whole thing is very telegraphed. Um, but Chono kicks him and then shoves him off the turnbuckle through a table and fell on the floor. Chono hits a mafia kick. Patrick counts normally and Chono gets the three. We see a replay of the mafia kick from a different angle, which looked really nice. They've got to get the angle right on that. Pete? Yeah, again, that mafia kick looks like it's uh, doing its business again there. Um, these two were quite a competitive match, considering, I think, Chono being... It's a slightly bigger guy, but really could have been a lot better than it was. But a decent start to, 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 the, to the match itself. Um, I think it had to start off with an NWA win to get the, get the ball rolling, I suppose, for them on the night. Um, but Jericho is quite competitive in there against Chano, who's a slightly bigger guy. And Chris is that kind of mix between the cruiserweight and probably a, a US title kind of guy. So um, not a bad start. I think it could have been a lot better, but we'll probably get on to a lot worse than this as we go along. No. Aye, um, good classy styles. You can tell Jericho's worked at plan. I thought he'd done well. Master Chono seems to keep keep improving. Um, th- there was a lot of talk in this in the middle about an STF, and I can't actually remember them being an STF in it, but the irony of asking Eric Bischoff what a move acronym is when it's like everything is a back leg round kick. I, I didn't quite understand that for Ted. Um, but I mean, other than, other than that, I thought it was still pretty different with the, the ring announcing the referees were probably going to get a lot more Nick Patrick as we're going to go on. But at this point, it was still fresh. Um, Jericho, I just really like. He's kind of like a young, a young Owen Hart before Owen Hart put the the black singlet on when he was still kind of jumping about and doing high flying. The camera cuts were pretty cool. I, I like this. Yeah, this wasn't that bad. I mean, I expect that in another setting, 
probably Japan. These two could have a match that would be significantly better than this. I suspect that in another setting, i.e. a WCW show with WCW announcers, these two could have a significantly better match than this. As it was, I think there were a lot of things working against them, namely a crowd that was also quite flat the entire night, and I'm not sure you can blame them on the whole. Um, the match was okay, it doesn't help, the announcers don't really call it, but th- that would be the you know, there'd be a match that suffered a lot more because of that. Um, you know, Bischoff and DiBiase starts off being quite funny. Again, that'll that'll lose its wear as the night goes on. But the action was decent. It was a good match. It wasn't really any better. Um, you know, it lacked a bit of flow. But I agree. I, I you know, we, we talk about the NWO getting clean wins or not getting clean wins. They did need the opening victory on this match. And Jericho, like it or not, is probably the kind of guy that can, can eat that kind of defeat. And to an extent, just wear it. Um, Jericho's the kind of guy that, to a point, I think, trying to beat him too often is probably a bit like Teflon in that you can always build him back up because he is good enough to do that. Um, but, yeah, so far, probably so good. They're doing Miss NWO. This is tragic. They're literally showing letters sent in from people wanting to be Miss NWO. Got a guy called Jeff Katz asking questions to each of the NWO. This is dreadful. We will come to that later. No non-NWO guys not getting music is a nice touch I've got in my notes. So we move on to match number two. It's Hugh Morris with Jimmy Hart versus Big Bubba. Morris is wearing a tie-dye shirt and jeans. He looks very, very suspiciously like Big Dick Dudley. Uh, for what that's worth. Uh, he drops uh, to the outside and throws Bubba into the ring steps. Patrick turns a blind eye to Bubba low-blowing Morris. There's a handcuff randomly tied to the ropes. Jimmy Hart gets some shots in on Bubba on the floor. Bubba gets sent into the corner where his jacket is hanging. He grabs a chain from inside it and floors Morris as he runs in. Bubba uses the weapon. Patrick reprimands him, but nothing more. Morris hits a big moonsault from the top. Patrick begins a 10 count for Bubba. Reluctant counting, Patrick is great. He randomly restarts the count halfway through, then attempts to revive him. Morris gets a couple more shots in and asks Patrick to restart the count. Morris grabs the other half of the handcuff that broke off and hits Bubba with it. The match has flattened out significantly. Morris hits a low blow. Patrick strangely does nothing. We head up the ramp. Morris plants Bubba at the base of the steps, about 10 of them to the top of the ramp. Morris goes about five to step number five, goes for a moonsault, but Bubba moves. Bubba gets one of the bikes from ringside and just about runs over Morris with the bike. Looks a bit clunky, but to a point they had to. Patrick does a very, very quick 10 count, and Bubba wins by count. Out. Del. There was a fucking motorcycle bump. He ran him over with a motorbike. Um, I'm starting to struggle, but I'm going to fight on regardless. Um... <laughs> First things first, why was this built as a Mexican deathmatch when Conan was there? Uh, because Conan was meant to be in it, and then he they couldn't get him into the country, and they just decided we'll sub in Hugh Morris, and we'll oh. hope nobody notices. So it wasn't a Dudleyville deathmatch then, no. Um, oh, it could have been. Uh, but I mean, I, I thought this was decent. It was struggling, but that that kind of bump on the stage to start with to get to get um, Hugh Morris done, and the. The fact that they kind of done the motorbike back at the end, it was like the Yank, they knew that they were going to be struggling to keep keep folk interested in this. I don't know, the, the bit in the middle with the, the moonsault when Bubba's done, but instead of him kind of allowing Morris to go for the the three count, calling it as a count out with the, the knockout, which I thought was brilliant, but it just shows the NWO bias, whether it's the, 
the low blow that he seemingly misses of the of the counter, giving him ten seconds to get Bubba up, and then just kind of Nick Patrick fan in the face, he big Bubba to get him back away. I thought it was I thought it was decent. Right. I think if you looked at it from outside looking in, that someone said to you there was a Mexican death match and the end was somebody run over by a motorbike, you might have thought, actually, I want to watch this. But <laughs> that was probably about it because the ending probably, I thought, was quite a creative way of finishing a death match, if that makes sense, in 1997. But the rest of it was just it was just a brawl with two guys who were not really, they're not overall, they're not doing a great deal. It was just an excuse to have them out there. But, you know, Mexican death match means there's something on the line, there's something there's a meaning towards it, and there was nothing between these two that meant they should have this match. In fact, even if Conan was there, it doesn't really probably mean a great deal either, but the finish was really good. I liked the motorbike. It was not a bad bump from humor as either taking it off that bike, and quite brave, actually, to take it in that sense. But, no, not for me. Didn't really, didn't do a great deal for me, but the finish, I did like. Yeah, it says a lot, but I didn't really notice it was a Mexican death match. Um, that probably says a lot from my notes as well. Uh, yeah, just bad. Um, just two guys. I, I, I kind of like Bubba. Morris is okay. Um, but, you know, that's really it. There's not much more beyond that. And it's like, you know, this match lasted too long. Um, it wasn't really a Mexican death match in the way you might imagine. Um, and as creative as the finish was, and it was undoubtedly good, it was like... It's one of those finishes where it's like it's a nice idea, but it never looks right. Like you know, Bubba can't Bubba can't drive quickly enough at him to make it look good. So he kind of like slowly just saunters up the ramp, and then Morris has just got to make the most out of it. But it looked okay, but it wasn't this great looking visual that I think people probably hoped it was gonna be. Um, Dal, thoughts on the finish specifically? Um. I like, the, as you say, I like the creativity for it. When you see Nick Patrick with a slow count throughout the match and then he finishes it in a fast one, there was the bump on the, the stage for Morris that made him realistically stay down for that amount of time to let Bubba run back down, get the bike, get it started, get it kind of squared up to run him over and then get up. Um, as much as there was maybe a bit of hokiness in the actual delivery of it for Dana, for Dana stunt like this, without stuntmen, without the the value of like a, a post-production set-up, doing it live in front of an arena crowd, in front of a pay-per-view crowd, I thought they'd done brilliant. Pete? Yeah, I agree. As I mentioned before, yeah, the, the bump itself was, was a brave thing to undertake on a live show, and it could have gone horribly wrong, or horribly right, as the case may be, to get it properly. Uh, Hugh Morris laid out on the floor in, uh, in agony for 10 seconds, but um, yeah, I think it was a, a very creative way of ending, ending a match, but did it really need to end that way, I suppose? And a Mexican death match between Bubba and uh, Bubba. What was that about? Yeah, it's you no know, strange. Yeah, a little bit odd. I mean, yeah, they 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 shot the they shot the the motorcycle angle from such a distance where if you had to look a bit clunky, I don't think we'd have noticed. Um, but it looked fine. It was you know a creative ending to a match I didn't need to see. I guess is my uh, my longest thought on that. Uh, these missed NWO segments are dreadful. No more comment at this stage. Uh, next up, it's Jeff Jarrett, introduced as Double J versus M Wall Street. Uh, first slide of my notes. Imagine this match in the WWF two years ago. I know we kind of had in in part one, we had Luger and Scott Hall, which would have been a flat match in uh, in the WWF two years ago. This would have been something else. Bischoff, like McMahon before him, randomly credits Wall Street's technical credentials. Is that in Wall Street's contract? 
Runs into an elbow in the corner. Jarrett comes off the trot with a nice crossbody and Patrick slow counts. For Jarrett, he does at least. Jarrett goes for a running attack on Wall Street, draped in the ropes. Patrick shoves him out of harm's way and the announcers praise Wall Street's wing awareness, which was pretty good. We head to the outside. Wall Street throws Jarrett over the guardrail. He goes for the sleeper. Deborah, Deborah and Mongo inch their way closer to the ring. Wall Street locks in a sleeper on the mat using the ropes for leverage. Patrick catches him but only lightly warns him. Jarrett comes off the top, but Wall Street moves. Jarrett locks in a figure four. Wall Street reaches the ropes, but he's not close enough, so Patrick grabs his hands and drags him to the ropes. Deborah, meanwhile, is seemingly trying to convince Mongo to get involved. Mongo, after being kind of dragged around ringside, eventually gets up and smashes Wall Street on the back with the case. Then when Jarrett goes for the pin, Mongo gets on the apron and threatens Patrick, who counts quickly. So Jarrett wins. Pete. Oh, blimey. Um, it continues on. I think Jeff Jarrett, I think, is is struggling as a as a baby face, as a, as a, as a face at the moment. Obviously, trying to get his four horsemen credentials in line. Um, I think as soon as we saw Deborah and Stephen Michael wandering their way towards the uh, the edge of the ring, we knew what was going to probably happen at the end. The match was pretty bog-standard probably opening match on Nitro, let alone a pay-per-view match, if that. Um, and the ending was, was, was typical. And I'm getting a little bit tired of seeing the Steve McMichael briefcase shot on somebody outside the ring. So uh, it's not getting much better, is it, for me? At least it does take a little bit of a turn the uh, two, di- two nights later on Nitro, Dell. It's a hollow button. They've got to put four or five on that box, man. You need to get your money's worth it, Pete. <laughs> um, the biggest, the biggest word there last night for me, Bob, is different, and this is IRS against fucking Jeff Jarrett. If it's not, if it's the same as normal, it's going to be boring. This wasn't the match of the night. It's not something that you're going to remember. But I thought they did enough with it to make it to make it decent. I mean, it wasn't. But, but did, did, did Wall Street and Jarrett do anything with it? Or was it that's, Nick that's the biggest part of it because it was Nick Patrick that really kind of made it. But definitely, I mean, I'd, for what it's worth. As, as much as I've got, I mean, I was fed up with seeing IRS in 1992, you know what I mean? But he looked quite cool. I mean, he's coming out with the almost like a SWAT team set of pants, the boots, the NWO shirt. He doesn't look like Wall Street and he doesn't look like IRS. He looked like Mike the Thunder, which I thought was good. Um, Jarrett, is, that, is that good? Are we, are we praising like I'm 1997? I'm fighting for I know you are. You're not fighting particularly well. <laughs> I mean, I thought the, the match was decent. I mean, there was a bit in the middle where it the, wasn't. Come on, the, the wrestle, they got out of the wrestle before it was stale. The the referee had done wonders with it. They they felt different. I mean, the, uh, I'm struggling with this one. You are. You are. <laughs> <laughs> on, on a positive note, you said at the start they introduced Jeff Jarrett as Double J. They also introduced him as this redneck, which I thought was very good. Um. They looked quite cool. They got out of it before it kind of got too low down the barrel. It was all right. I mean, I don't think it was really the night for Deborah and Mongo. I, I, that story has got legs when it's in a horseman context, but the, I didn't really think this was the night for it. That was the the biggest kind of detractor for me. It did kind of need to end at the end of it, fair enough. But um, it was all right. It's, it's not exactly going to be up there in the worst match of the year, is it? It was all right. Uh, well, uh, well, it's only January. You're probably right. Um, but Adele, isn't the big the big point here, and the big point probably the entire night, amongst other things, 
is that you can't just stick a guy in an NWO shirt and expect him to be over. And that's the big message of this show. Michael Wall Street, VK Wall Street, IRS, Mike Rotunda, whatever you want to call him. You take a hot act like the NWO, you stick NWO shirt onto Mike Rotunda. It doesn't drag Mike Rotunda up, it drags the NWO down. Dale, is that not something we can say? But he's got ring awareness and he's a very proficient mover in the ring. <laughs> He's fucking, he's IRS, man. I've never understood that point anyway. Like, you know, this Don't idea that, you know, Judkins on here. We, we said this like three years ago. Like, what, why, why does, if he's such a good wrestler, why is he a tax man? But now he's not even a tax man. He's just a guy. Just a really old guy. That's it. Like, you know, Nate he has... Gives- Nobody gives a shit about Wall Street, right? Let's just nail that black and white flag to the mast. No one gives a shit that he's here. But if it wasn't for the likes of Michael Wall Street, you wouldn't have an NWO versus WCW angle running through the show, and it filled the spot. They no, are, you, are you in the NWO? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the best exit. You are the, the first member on this show to join the NWO. You're desperately trying to find positives where they don't exist. They need representation, and right. I am more than happy to fill that spot. The Scottish branch of the NWO. God help us. Pete, any more of the above? Uh, no, I'm still stunned with, with Dell's viewpoint so far. I hope it obviously the, the fun continues. NW Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> Get that on a shirt. I mean, this was really bad. I mean, Jarrett, I mean, D- Dave Meltzer said Jarrett's been involved in some very good matches since he's been in WCW. I ain't fucking seen him. When? Like, yeah, exactly. Jarrett's been, like, Jarrett's okay, and he's wrestled the odd match with Benoit and Guerrero, but, you know, like, I get the feeling you put me in the ring with Ben Ra. I mean, I might not leave in one piece, but we probably have a decent match. He just beat fuck out of me for ten minutes. But, like, this idea that Jarrett's any good, I've never seen it. And, like, we, we started this project three and a half years ago. I think, you know, Mike VK Wall Street RS was, like, two or three years out of date when we started. Like, you know, he's no better off now. And this is the problem with this show. Like, you know, the... We, you want to do an NWO show, so you've got to have depth. But the problem is, as we're going to see during the night, the NWO is really two guys. It's probably not even Hogan. It's two guys. And it's just a match. Crowd were flat. Nobody cares about Jarrett. Nobody cares about Wall Street. Patrick, well, this was probably peak Patrick on this show. I think Patrick was the only bit that climbed at any point during the show, but it starts to tail off after this match. Um, the stuff with Deborah and Mongo, we're going to see a little bit more of that on the next Nitro two days later. That's okay, but this match was awful. Speaking of awful, the Miss NWO segments are still going on. Next up, it's Scotty Riggs versus Marcus Bagwell, who's now being called Buff Bagwell. I think that's what I've got him down as during my notes. Uh, Buff sure does look different now from a few years ago. Dale, speaking of guys that have changed and got bigger, Marcus, remember Marcus Bagwell, the early days of WCW with him and Two Cold Scorpio and Bagwell being this young, somewhat skinny, like genuine proper baby face looks a bit different now did George Michael really leave Wham and have a solo career or did he just go to the gym because I think he just looks like a tank top George Michael uh, it's really weird yeah. looking at him but he's huge he's, I mean he's up there in the Scottish Steiner States and it's, yeah. it's unreal looking at him compared to as you say where he was a couple of years ago 
Pete. Yeah, Marcus Alexander Bagwell with his nice, uh, That's the one. nice dry comb through hair and very green, wasn't he back in the day? He looks, as you say. I mean, at least he embraced, you know, his new his new look and the NWL. I've got to give him that, and he looks he looks the part. He looks like, you know, as you say, Scott Steiner's probably a cousin who's the best friends in the gym. So he looks pretty good. Um, and I think he actually is probably quite a good fit in the NWO in that sense. Riggs attacks him from behind. Buff says, now we're going to wrestle before going for a chinlock. They've got a mobile camera on the end of a long pole, which gives us a nice kind of very close-up view of the action. Riggs hits a belly to belly. We get a series of exchanges and reversals where Riggs just chucks Bagwell over the top. Riggs gets dropped on the top rope and then fired into the guardrail. Fans chant Bagwell sucks and Bagwell plays along thinking they're cheering for him. Bagwell picks up Riggs and starts doing the American male's hand clap with Riggs' arms while Riggs fights out. Bagwell hits a powerbomb. We get a sunset flip attempt. Riggs ends up pulling Bagwell's trunks down. I did not need to see that. This match is long. Bagwell locks in a submission. Riggs fights out and drops Bagwell to the mat. Riggs hits an enziguri. We get two drop kicks from Riggs, then Bagwell hits a running crossbody for a two. This is a brave choice of match to go long. Lovely sunset flip neck breaker off of the top. And that's enough for the win. Pete? Oh, blimey. Um, Bagwell, there was a reason for these two to be out there. Obviously, the American males had split up. This was the, the blow-off to that, I suppose. It was just slow and rest holds. Pretty much... Most of the match, you say, it was very long, which didn't really go in their favour. Uh, I think Buff is quite a good, he's a cocky heel, which I think suits his, his persona. Riggs had literally hardly any offence pretty much during the match. Would, would you agree with that? I think there was very little going on from him. I was trying match... to stay awake during the match, so I'm not sure I, I how much really, help... I, He didn't get a, a hope spot. He didn't get the, the crowd firing back with him sort of back on top. There was nothing like that at all. Um, but the finish, the the blockbuster, I did like. It looked quite bad. He landed on sort of the shoulder over the top of the sunset. Yeah, that looked uh, very nice. Obviously, Bischoff was pleased to announce that as the uh, as people was, was it DBRC as the as the blockbuster, the buff. Is it the buff blaster? Was that something like that? I think it was called something like that. Oh, God knows. But for a, for a blow off match for an actual a, a mini feud they had, it was just so long. It was just. I don't know. It didn't didn't showcase anybody, and it didn't really. There was no intensity about it, which is one match that actually probably had something going for it. It was just like any other match on the night, really. So NWA versus a WCW guy. Not that these two were in a tag team. Very strange. Del, how how long was this match? It, I think it was about a minute shy, quarter an hour. It must have been a bit, at least thirteen, it, fourteen, it and it felt, felt a bit twenty. Lot. It did feel oh, it long. felt longer than that. Yeah. It felt really long. Like I, you know, go on, Dale. What do you think? I thought that should, as Pete said, I think it should have been more of a focus on American male versus American male. Um, I was a bit gutted at the start just because it's a fucking catchy tune. We never heard American males. I think this was the point where you could probably make the argument for a WCW intro for it. Whether maybe reminded the fans that's what this is about. You can. You can see that this buff character is a lot different to Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Um, what Pete was saying about the drags actually get into this, there was a bit at the start where I actually thought Scotty Riggs looked pretty good, which I've, I've never said. Um, as you say, about the bit in the middle, I don't think anybody needs to see buff in the buff. I mean, we nearly saw his buff blaster. 
but it wasn't it wasn't pretty. But I mean, as a as a heel, he will get over. I mean, when when posing off at the fans with the they kind of size him these days when he thinks he's better than everybody else. And kind of, he will get over as a body. I've not got any doubts about that. That's the biggest kind of takeaway for this for a negativity point of view is I thought this was one that Patrick really started needing a bit of help. Um, that's, that's, that was, I mean, set up for, this was set up for Fonzie. You know what I mean? You needed a, you needed a, another kind of bad kind of outlaw referee to come in here. Um, but I thought Nick Patrick really started to struggle here. The, the match itself wasn't it wasn't great on paper. The fact that they gave him, as I say, nearly enough quarter an hour, I don't really see what the logic is in that because they're not exactly renowned for kind of having these long matches and carrying them off. And I just don't, I, I don't think it played enough into the feud with the former tag team partners enough for me. I think that would maybe have saved it. How they would have done that, I don't know. But as, as Pete says as well, that, that finish at the end did look pretty tasty to be fair. Now, what's the best match involving the American Miles? God. Like what's, what, what's the worst match involving the American Miles? I think that's the problem. You can't do it with one or the other. Because it's... the idea that this should have been this big, you know, post-American Miles thing does kind of overlook the fact that nobody gives a fuck about the American Miles. Mm. Like the idea that they left the, all of this kind of money on the table because they didn't promote this as this big former American Miles showdown overlooks the fact that nobody gave a fuck about the American Miles. It was a cool theme song. You know, I'll give you that. Clap along to that when you're at a, a, a live event. And maybe these two are better off apart than they are together on the basis that Bagwell... We know Bagwell's good. I mean, Bagwell's always been good. I mean, I don't know whether he can be good at his size anymore, but he might be able to be different. Riggs looks like a dead horse now on his own. But this was... uh, You know, when you consider some of the talent on this card, and this match felt like the longest match on the card. I know it wasn't, but it felt like it. This was a hell of a brave match to go along, and they just missed it, and... Yeah, that was you alluded to. This was the match where Patrick stuff started to go over the hill because they kind of ran out of gimmicks. There wasn't really any other, you know, the the the, the bent referee only goes a few different ways. Yeah. It doesn't stretch over eight matches. I mean, they tried. God, they tried. Um, but yeah, this was just a step too far. They were trying, you know, they tried to fill a decent chunk of the middle of the show with a match involving two guys, Pete, that people just don't care about. No, that's true, and that's the trouble. Is I think it built up as the American males, but they people really. I mean, if the Steiners split up and have a match, you would give a shit, wouldn't you? Clearly, yes. You know they've been around for years and years and years, brothers, etc. These two, you know, almost a throwaway tag team with a catchy theme song. I'll agree with you there, Dale. It meant nothing, and it was way too long. And yeah, it was like you know. To, to, to make this thing even remotely work, we need to hear from Riggs in the weeks following Bagwell turning on him. I don't think we did. I don't recall it. Dal, you've seen all the nitros. I don't think we've really heard from Riggs at all. Have we beyond the odds? No, the, you would hear for Buff. Buff would rub it in that Riggs is a, a dead horse these days. He's bought into the, the biggest faction going. But the, the problem with Scotty Riggs is I think there was about a five... There was a five second kind of camera bit just after a just after a pinfall. That's that's literally it when he was still in ring. Um, the trouble that Scotty Riggs has had is he's pretty much been dependent on that story getting told with the 
with the commentators, but if the if the commentators are talking about somebody else other than Roddy Piper for the last six weeks, I certainly haven't noticed it. Still dreadful. Right, next up, it's Dime Dallas Page versus Scott Norton. Page has a leaked cigar in the ring. He takes a hit after the match starts. Randomly, as happened a lot during the last match, the arena voiceover just says, Loser! Page goes for a chin lock. He then goes for a pile drive before flapjacking down. He calls for the diamond cutter, but Norton cuts him off. Here comes Sting. Norton hits a shoulder breaker on Page. Sting is watching from high up in the lower tier. Page gets slammed into the ring steps. Norton goes to jump onto Page, who moves. Would not want Orton landing on me, that's for sure. Page comes off the top turnbuckle with a clothesline. Patrick has the cadence, so his slow count's just right. Page rallies, but Buff Blackwell comes out on the mic, flanked by Vincent, Wall Street and Bubba. The match stops dead as we get an in-ring interview. Page says everything is cool, except the NWO shirt from Bagwell. I cannot believe they're falling for this. Page shakes Norton by the hand, then goes to the diamond cutter in the biggest shocker of the year so far. Page gets a couple of extra shots in and then hightails it into the crowd for ripping his shirt off. Nick Patrick, quite rightly, awards Norton the victory by count-out. Pete? Um, this is where, for me, and Dell will be happy I say this, this this kind of was a little bit of an upturn, because I actually quite liked um, the way the match began. I quite like Scott Norton in general, and Dallas Page at the moment is probably get, becoming one of the biggest and most popular guys they've got, so the crowd were very much kind of a bit mixed with him, because obviously an NWO theme, but um, Norton, I think, was wasted with Page with the way they ended the match. I think they could have actually had a pretty decent match if they'd let them just have the match and Page get over Diamond Cutter and win without having, you know, NWO light, as it were, coming down and and doing that awful end where who who actually thought that Page was going to go, go on then, I'll have your T-shirt again and we'll all hug and celebrate and be in. And then obviously hit the Diamond Cutter on Norton as well. He took the, the Diamond Cutter, not Vincent or anybody else. Two shots into the crowd and off he went. So... Just a, a match to set up that again that we've already probably seen once before was a waste of Page and, and Norton for me. Mm, I mean, how many times are they going to do this? And I, I, th- I thought they carried that bit at the end, considering we all knew it was coming, considering we've literally seen it so many times, and the fact that they still carried it off pretty well, I thought was fair play to them. Um, the crowd loved Dallas. I mean, he comes out at the start, you get a brilliant reaction for him. The bit at the end where he, he tells the NWO where to get off, they carry, they kind of were right behind him again. Um, I like that cigar bit at the start, where just him coming out with that cigar, I thought it was pretty cool. And then it gets to the point where he's got it sitting in the, the top turnbuckle and then just takes a draw it because he's struggling at the start, I thought it was really good. Um, we seem to say it every time, but Paige has just improving every time you see him. Um, Scott Norton, I say I've never been a great fan, but as I said in part one, he has started to impress me a bit. It's just, it did just feel as if it was, we'll get the two of them out here, we'll set this up again, and that's it. The only kind of positive bit of that was at least it wasn't the outsiders this time that get kind of punked at it. It was, it was mere buff than anything else, and it does look like the sharpest knife in the draw, so you can see that. But it was more of an angle than a match. I did forget to mention Buff Bagwell's raspberry to the camera as well. <laughs> that didn't look particularly menacing from NWO mm. here, did it really? There we go. It wasn't my biggest problem with all of that. I mean, 
it wasn't inherently a bad idea to rerun the angle, but you needed a much, much stronger way to set it up. You know, just... Like, the NWI is meant to be the cool guys. You know, why would... If I'm Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, why do I watch that and go, well, I don't want these losers in the group. You know, I mean, I know Hall and Nash fell for Page, but at least they fell for Page in, like, correct circumstances. These guys just walked out there and walked to their own death. Just felt a bit weird. Like, the the setup was really, really predictable. The match stopped dead and never got going again. And it was like, I didn't mind what they tried. It's just, you've got to have a much smarter way of getting there. And they just didn't. Shame, though, like, these two... Like, the one thing you can say about the show is that, by and large, save a flat few matches we've just gone through, the, the matches are between guys that can at least go... Um, but they didn't give these guys enough room to be able to go. It was more, oh yeah, we'll just kind of put it there. We'll see what happens. Um, and just a bit, yeah, with Paige kind of ripping it down. It was a nice angle, but the the angle we covered on Nitro in part one is a really really strong angle because you don't mm. see it coming. This is a bit more not audience intelligence insulting in the sense that it was a babyface getting one over a heel in a heel looking stupid, which is kind of how it should be. But it's like, yeah, it, I guess it just didn't fit for me anymore. It? Um, I think that there's so many factors that you need involved in things like this. The, the things that we're working against it is firstly they'd seen it in the Monday. This is Saturday. I mean, we've had four days in between and they're seeing it again. I mean, the, the fact that it is probably one of the hottest guys that they've got there, as I say, the reaction for them at the start was brilliant. The reaction at the end was brilliant. They believe in Dallas Page, but the problem, it's a bit of a two-edged sword, really. When you've got an NWO show, you need NWO guys. If you've got enough NWO guys, you're inevitably going to be kind of getting a bit of chaff in with it. But when you see the angle in Nitro, one, it's the first time it's happened, so it's fresh. But two, you've got the likes of Hall and Nash in there. Nash looks pretty cool. Hall is just pretty cool. And when you get Vincent coming out, you get Buff coming out, it's kind of like the second, third, fourth string of the NW, so that kind of worked against it. But Paige done well. The crowd were still considering all things pretty into it. It was all right, but I, I just think there was too many factors working against it. Yeah. Pete, anymore? I was thinking during the match, you know how everybody had come out, the nasty boys and the horsemen in the crowd... And Harlem Heat, this was the one match at the end, they could have maybe got involved and maybe been thrown out of the building by Bischoff and had that kind of, to make it a little bit different with Paige looking as strong. It's one thing they could have done maybe a little bit differently with the angle. But apart from that, no, I think what you said is pretty much pretty fair. Or anything else. Uh, Miss NWO, still dreadful. We move on. It's the Steiner Brothers, Rick and Scott versus the outsider, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash for the NWO World Tag Team Titles. We start with Scott and, well, Scott. Uh, Steiner hits a fireman's carry. Hall goes for an abdominal stretch, but Scott reverses it into a slam. Hall falls to the outside and Rick gets involved too. We regroup with Rick against Hall. Rick hits a body slam and gets caught by Hall as he comes off the top and Hall hits a fall away slam. Hall hits a choke slam on Scott and tags in Nash. Harlem Heat watch on from the crowd. Nash runs into a big boot, then Scott throws him across the ring with a belly-to-belly suplex. Hall gets a shot in on Rick on the apron. Nash takes advantage and boots him to the outside. 
Rick is now the face in peril as Nash and Hall point to each other. Nash goes for an elbow drop, but Rick avoids it. Scott is losing patience on the apron. He levels Hall on the floor. Nash spits at Scott. Rick blow, low blows Nash. Scott finally tags in, runs over both Hall and Nash. He gets a double underhook powerbomb, then a side suplex on Nash. Rick puts Hall on his shoulders, but Nash cuts it off. Hall hits the razor's edge onto Scott, but Nick Patrick is down. Rick comes off the top with a bulldog. Scott covers Hall, but there's no ref. Randy Anderson comes through the crowd, counts the three, and the Steiners win. Big pop for that. Eric Bischoff very angrily says, every one of these people is standing. They are livid. Del, were you livid? Fucking Randy Anderson is an inbreed. He's no place in that card. He wasn't booked in that card. He wasn't an officially licensed NW official. It's, it's a farce. That's what it is. Um, how, many, how, many, continues. Uh, how many moves does Kevin Nash know? Can you answer me that, Bob? Uh, there's the soft big boot. There's the jackknife. There's the kind of running elbow yeah, in, the in the corner. corner. Yeah, I've seen that one, yeah. um, I mean, if it wasn't uh, for Scott Hall... I mean, I don't know what Nash would do. I mean, Hall is a lot, of course. I mean, he always was, but... Does the, does the WWF version of Diesel know more moves than the WCW version of Kevin Nash? Sorry, I'll, let me rephrase that. Does the current WWF Diesel know more than the former WWF Diesel? It's got to be up there. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, it, I'm kind of about monthly for you, unfortunately, for getting on that Scott Hall bandwagon, but... God help Kevin Nash if it wasn't for Hall. He covers for him in interviews. He covers for him in commentary when he's on it. He covers him for matches tenfold. I mean, Scott Hall is just cool. And he has to work to cover Nash. I mean, they have got that balancing act, right? I mean, how many? Nash does a sidewalk slam, doesn't he? he? Does it? Well, he tries, aye. He's kind of too cool to carry it off, but he does it. But, I mean... Nash is kind of like one of these big guys that's got a place because he's big. He kind of has the work about. I mean, it's not the first tag team we've seen that's probably not going to be the last, but we see there's definitely one worker and there's one looker. But, I mean, Nash, I don't know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a great fan of Nash. I mean, that might question my NWO membership, unfortunately, but... I'm not a great fan of him. I mean, Scott Scott Hall just done brilliant in this match. I thought the, the bits were it panned to the outside. The heat looked pretty cool out there. The, the Randy Anderson thing did help to an extent when I'd said in the last match that I was starting to struggle with, or the last couple really, I was starting to struggle with, with Nick Patrick. I thought the Randy Anderson bit at the end was quite good. Then it obviously builds into the the Nitro a couple of nights later that will that we'll come on to. Um, I must admit that the, the crowd's still pretty hot. I thought for me, whether it's just because the outsiders are there, and the outsiders are probably the most popular guys in the in the country at the minute. But I am starting to fade pretty fast. Pete, yeah, I think that makes, that makes a great point. I think the outsiders are cool. I think Scott Hall definitely is the the cooler and the more the guy you want to sort of back. And I think we're now warming to your comments on the end of year about Scott Hall, Bob. I think uh, regarding kind of how good he really is as a tag team. Can, can we have a revo on the on the uh, MVP of the year? I, I, I think you might have to at this rate. Right yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Del, who's your vote for MVP of the year? Uh, Glacier. Uh, Ooh, Pete. I'll go Scott Hall, Bob. I'm all the way moving now. I'll go Scott Hall. Oh, there we go. Scott Hall wins it. Bad. There we go. Revisionist history on the first show of 1997. Sorry, Pete. <laughs> Revisionist history Glacier. 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 Gl
uh, for me, it just it was it was a plod fest. I mean, the outsiders as a tag team. I mean, against the Steiners, you think almost a, not a dream matchup, but you know, it should be a great tag team match. But it was just it was so slow. It was quite a long match as well. Um, good to see uh, sort of Scott Steiner back. He looked uh, well up for for the match and was itching on the outside to go and kick people's asses throughout the whole match. But you're right, Kevin Nash was carried by Scott Hall throughout. Um, Randy Anderson, I thought that was great, because I think, it, as you say, it broke up the whole night that Nick Patrick's been doing this whole gimmick all night. Anderson strolls in, gives the crowd a little pop. We weren't expecting probably them to lose the title potentially on an NWO show, so that was quite good. And it built into the next Nitro, so... You know, not the worst, not the best, but it was okay. But the outsiders as a tag team, I just, I think that they are losing that bit of, you know, individually maybe, or Scott Hall in his own maybe, carries it off better, but it's a tag team. No. Pete, would it not have made more sense to have written Nick Patrick off of the show at this point? I think so now. Now that's happened. And then, but then oh, I, I know they have the angle with Anderson planned for, for, for Nitro on the Monday, yeah. but it would not made a lot more sense given the two matches that followed if they'd have written off Patrick and much to Bischoff's chagrin or whatever, yeah. they you know could have just taken the decision, you know, we, we have to have a, a qualified, certified referee and Randy yeah. Anderson's the only guy to do it. Yeah. And then he could have refereed the next two matches. I know they would have had to have done a slightly different job with the angle on Nitro, but I feel like that would have been much stronger and would have set up for a much better final two matches. And given the result of the next match, it makes even more sense to fire Randy Anderson as well, doesn't it? So, you know... I agree, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, Dale, thoughts on that? I still think they should have brought in Battle Phones for the night, but I'm in a, I'm in a man of my own now. Well, I'm the whistle. Yeah, but then Bill Alfonso would have shown the NWO how you really get heat. That's, not, and, that's also true. There would have been about 70% and, of that roster just redundant. Yeah, uh, it would have just been a whistle all night as well. I mean, you know, yeah. Um, the, this was quite good. It was one of the better matches on the car, which says very little. I, that being said, I expect far more from these two. And we, we talk about Nash being quite limited. He's not that bad. Um, you know, he's he's capable of having good matches with the right guys. And I'd put the Steiners in amongst there with the right guys. Um, but yeah, you are right to talk about his limitations. Um, and be a case of, and I don't know whether this is because Scott's coming back from injury, but if Rick's going to be carrying the Steiners, Hall should probably be carrying the Outsiders. That would help. Um, But yeah, the match was just never really got going, and then the finish, um, I guess we'll come come to it more when we talk about the angle on Monday, because that plays into it. I like the finish, though, and it was a rare, and yeah, we got one in a bit, but it was a rare High point for a crowd that didn't have many to catch on. Did Dale thoughts specifically on the finish? Um, taking off my NWO cap, um, it was pretty innovative, um, and it makes sense when you've got the the likes of people. We haven't Peter said earlier on about why are the why the nasties not getting kind of utilised, why is the Harlem Heat or arm or kind of a lot of these people just sitting there. It made perfect sense, and then as you say, if they already had the they worked for a couple of nights later about the, ang- uh, the angle with Andy Anderson. It makes perfect sense. And if, it, if there's going to be a moment where they would kind of 
have the crowd popping, but at the same point be able to kind of almost backwards book it. If this had happened in a main event, how are you going to book yourself to taking the world heavyweight title away? With the tag titles, you can kind of get away with it. And as you say, it gave them a pop where they were kind of struggling to get one before, so fair play to the voiceover introduces Eddie Guerrero as the Mexican Jumping Bean. Let that one sink in for the moment. Next up, it's Eddie Guerrero and Six in a ladder match for the WCW United States title. They hoist the belt up into position. In my notes, I wrote, I've got a feeling at some stage that hoist will raise again when Guerrero's in reach. Surprisingly, that didn't happen. I figured that would have been a gimme, but uh, anyway, that's what it was. Uh, six starts with a hard kick and a chop. Guerrero hits a lovely backbreaker and a high crossbody off the top to the floor. Six gets on the top with an attack in the corner. Hits a release suplex off of the apron. Six hits the somersault plancher to the floor. The camera, of course, was focused on the title and barely caught it. Six finally goes to get the ladder. He and Eddie fight over it on the apron and Eddie pivots it into Six's jaw. Six lays the ladder onto Eddie, then stamps on him. The pair climb the ladder, but it's in the corner. Six gets the gut punch in and Eddie goes down. Six gets onto the top rope, goes to jump with the ladder, but Guerrero drop kicks it and Six crotches himself on the top. It's really, well, a really interesting moment during that bit where Bishop's like, what's he going to do here? And Teddy Vias just goes, I've seen Hall do this before. Obviously, reference to Hall's match with Scott, uh, Shawn Michaels where he kind of jumps off the top. I think Michaels did it, actually, funnily enough. But anyway, uh, we finally get the ladder mid-ring. Both guys climb near the top and Six does a spin kick, sending both him and Guerrero tumbling to the mat. That's great. Six goes to climb the ladder, but Eddie pushes him off, and Six bounces off the top rope. We get them both near the top again. They both get a hand on the title, unhook the title at the same time. Eddie hits Six in the head with the belt. Both Six and the belt drop to the mat, and Eddie grabs it off of the mat to win the match, and Nick Patrick looks distraught. Pete? Match of the night, obviously, by a country mile. Um, These two, I think it's a shame this match was on... I mean, towards the end of the car was a, was a good idea, and um, it just looks so much uh, more impressive than anything else on the night so far. These two put put forward a, a great ladder match. I love the Bischoff um, getting over Scott Hall as he's the guy who made ladder matches and invented the whole gimmick. Well, that was quite quite a nice touch on commentary from uh, Mr. Bischoff. Um, I like the ending as well. It's not often you see them both unhook the title together and then almost kind of have a bit of a, a scrap and then the belt shot, and then Eddie comes away with the title. That was really quite a nice way of finishing it, because normally you just get a, you know, knock off the ladder, and then he picks the belt off. But to unhook it together and have a bit of a of a skirmish was quite a nice touch, and uh, good to see Eddie get the win. But I think actually, yeah, obviously, match of the night. Really enjoyed it. I want to see more from these two moving forward. No, I, I don't know what Bret Hart would say about Scott Hall and Ben Ladder matches, but bear in mind that is in Canada. I suppose that doesn't affect the NWO. Um, Eddie Guerrero is life, man. It's like, how good is Eddie Guerrero? Seriously. I mean, even just, there was a daft wee bit in this quite early on when they had that. The two of them were up on the top rope. Six pushed him off and he lands on his feet while doing like a backflip. Eddie Guerrero's just brilliant. Um, I thought this was going to be good going in. I wasn't disappointed. I thought they actually done a bit better than I was expecting because I was, with some of the matches that we've seen in the middle, as much as I love this, I love that show. There wasn't really a lot of great wrestling, which is kind of a bit of possibly hyperbole, but it was a good show without any kind of great wrestling, but this did deliver. Um, even just, as I said, daft things in the middle, like six getting the, 
the ladder. He actually made it look as if the ladder weighed more than him, which maybe wouldn't be the hardest thing in the world. It um, probably does. Well, and in fairness, it's kind of depends kind of whether the, the ladder's wet or six is wet. I mean, if they were soaking wet, there might be a bit of a toss up there. But there was kind of Bischoff. What is it with Bischoff and karate? Do you know, Bob? Well, he knows it, doesn't he? I mean, we must that's do. That's they should, if there is such a thing as a karate federation, they should just use the commentary for this for an advert. Because Bischoff is just an absolute mark for karate. And whilst trying to convince us that six is some kind of gold standard athlete in martial arts is just a bit, well, come on. Um, the only only thing, kind of the ending with me, as much as I liked it, I thought it was maybe set up more for a, an NWO win. I thought kind of blasting six with the title he's knocked out and then he wins because he lands down in, the, down in the canvas with the belt. I thought we'd maybe have made a bit more a bit more sense, but it was a really, really decent match. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, this is a really tremendous match on a show that didn't deserve it, presented in a way that didn't show it. Um, with announcers, you know, I, I think it's it's fascinating. You could tell that, you know, the announcers were trying to be the announcers and it wasn't working. And then you could tell that they both realised this is a down good match. I think the problem from a commentary perspective was it, it it felt really out of place when you know and Bischoff and, and DiBiase to a point got involved in a sense of rooting for their guy, but they also got involved in the sense that they both realised shit this is actually a really good match. The problem was given what the two hours that had come before it, it felt really phony that they'd now be really invest in a back-and-forth match and all that kind of thing. I know to a point there's always the excuse, well, they're just scouting and, you know, they, they're so impressed by Guerrero, they're going to try and get him in the group, etc., etc. So there was that. This was really good. I mean, of the three other matches we've covered, it's certainly the the least great of the three, but I think a lot of that is due to circumstances more than anything else. Both these guys worked really, really hard. The spin kick off the top from from six was a brave thing to do because he leapt off the, the rung of the ladder he was on, sort of semi-connected with a spin kick and then had to control his fall. Better that Guerrero had the, the easier time of it off that. Um, but this in another place, when we talk about matches in a vacuum, this in another place would have been a tremendous match. But Pete, as it was, with all the stuff that surrounded it, like I, I didn't, I didn't get here at the end and think, yeah, this will be a match of the year candidate, and it probably should be. It's definitely up. I think if you put this match on the nitros, two nitros previous, with the crowds all over it, then I think it would be even better. I think it would, you would literally consider it match of the night because it would just come across so much better. But I think when it comes to as we go along this this year, it will definitely be up there because, as you say, to be a good a match as it was on this particular show. I think lends it much more credibility as well. Del? You make the, the argument that it's certainly a solid bronze out of the three that we've seen in the last couple of years of ladder matches. I think there's, there's probably an argument that you could say this one is probably the hardest the hardest time yet. I mean, there's obviously the, the comparisons to the SummerSlam one when it was coming off the back of such an amazing kind of debut show in it. Um... That was that had quite a lot to live up to, but with this coming in the back of what had went before it, that's not the 
you say this never really had any right to be on this show, or should I say the show never had any right to this match? And kind of been able to deliver it when you're seeing these kind of god awful um, Miss NWO contests and just the the kind of dips that the crowds had to have the night. I thought the fact that these two went out there and delivered as well as they did, you could probably make an argument they'd done the most work out of any of the three that we've seen so far. Yeah, um, you know, really good match, show didn't deserve it. And from one of the best matches we reviewed in a long while to possibly the worst thing we've ever covered. <laughs> As I've alluded to for, for most of the evening. So, I feel as if it should be a fanfare. Well, I might just lay a bed of music on it like they did. Oh, God. Uh, anyway, so... What we haven't covered uh, up until this point, because I, I just figured we'd cover it all here because it, it's death. They, during the show, had a Miss NWO contest. And the show opened up early doors. Eric Bischoff gleefully showed us all of these uh, entrants of people that wanted to be considered for Miss NWO. And surrounding the ring for the entire show were women sat on by uh, by uh, bicycles, that'd be different. <laughs> Sat on motorbikes. It'd, it'd be very different, very knockoff. NWO Glasgow. No, NWO Glasgow. Do they sit on bicycles? Um, I think in, in the NWO Glasgow, it would probably have been a similar caliber of ladies, should we say? But I don't know yeah. whether they would actually be able to kind of stay on the bike without the bike kind of breaking. Mullet's that uh, that as well. Anyway, so they're sat on motorbikes around ringside and a few on the stage, etc., etc. And Jeff Katz wanders around in these horrendous segments where he asks them all these really quite solicited questions. One, that they can't ever hear what he's saying. And two, they're all clearly quite nervous and to a point quite wary of saying anything too dodgy. So they're all being very, very coy with these answers. And then we get to this, the final of the Miss NWO pageant. Oh, God. I love you. Eric Bischoff, ladies and gentlemen. Winner, Eric. First of all, we're going to pick a winner. Because that's what we do here in the NWO, pick winners. winners here and you know what these women were chosen for a lot of reasons a couple of them and they live in Cedar Rapids so we didn't have to buy them a plane ticket they live here so we didn't have to get a hotel room that worked for me but most of all because they all have their own hearts and what's better in the world than a woman with her own heart is so close. It's come down. I really like you. It's come down to a tie. So we gotta we gotta break this tie. God, it is good if we can. So I'm gonna ask the two women who has come down to one question. The woman with the best answer wins. So simple. So as I move my way up and down the line, I'm thinking of a question. 
what would I ask some of the finest looking women in Cedar Rapids that have their own heart? Now, when I ask this question, it's only it's between us. You can't hear, and you can't hear. So hold on. Bischoff will get to choose the winner. This genuinely may be a new low for the podcast. So, we get introductions with Jeff Katz, who introduces each one of the ten women, who awkwardly dance towards the front of the camera, and they very, very badly edit in these little kind of profile panes on the side of the screen, just because that's what we all paid for this show, for fuck's sake. Anyway, so, Bischoff then says, I'm going to ask a question to each one of them. But he won't let us hear the question or the answer, as if this could get any more seedy than it already is. We'll kill a bit more time. Bischoff kisses the winner, although he cannot necessarily be accused of being purely picking the best-looking woman in the lineup or the youngest. Anyway, she gets given a metal NWO tiara and sash, then gets to sit on a throne, a literal throne, an actual toilet with an NWO system behind it. And thus the segment ends. Pete the horror. Holy Jesus! I, I just I would have got it if you'd had. This is going to sound totally tremendously sexist. A load of hot women in bikinis, all you know, whatever else, and sleazy comments from Bischoff and the NWO and all the NWO all around them. But the state of almost every single one of them. <laughs> was just, oh my God. I mean, there was more mullets on show and just just denim jeans. and they, they, I don't know what they thought they were getting themselves into. They clearly weren't prepped in any way, shape or form. The questions that that guy, whoever the hell he was, a radio host, I believe, they couldn't barely hear, they couldn't barely respond to him. And just went, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Or, yeah, I agree with you. And he was like, oh, okay, and on to the next one. And the second end, and you thought, what is going on? You know, this is just... As you say, a new low for for this show, and probably a new low for for WCW and and, and the NWO as well, because it's you know, and to crown her as the winner, I think it was a bit tongue in cheek. Clearly, obviously, um, Bischoff sold it well. He, he did it twice. I think he laid a, a big kiss on this woman twice, and she's walking towards the ring, going, "I don't know what's going on." 
But you visibly see her mouth like, I don't know what I'm doing or what's going on. Well, that's, she wouldn't the be the only one. But what was, what was the point, though? That's what I don't understand. What was the actual point? Dale, you cannot put this over. Come on, Dale. A man that's got Come an on. answer for everything. Explain on, this. Dale. I'm looking forward to it. Got a four-page thing. There we go. Um, this, this confused me at the start with kind of when cats is out at the start saying, oh, does anybody like biker chicks? Tumbleweed, man. It's like, what the fuck is going on here? Why are these, I want to say girls, but women sitting in bikes? And it's, what, is, what does this mean? And then it starts off as if they've kind of fed them the lines when it's, I think one of the first questions was, oh, the NWO believes in going all the way. What does going all the way mean to you? And it's like, fellatio? Is that it? Well, for now. And it's, oh, oh, it doesn't sound as good when you say it, Dale, to be honest. <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's me talking about fellatio might be a, a Patreon kind of special in the coming months. But Speaking of new lows for this show. I mean, it, it started off, kind of, oh, that's cheeky, that's different, that's kind of Generation X and all that, cool, fair enough. And then the further that go on during the night, I mean, you people talking about feet, which I'm sure Tony Atlas popped for. Um, there was one of them that, I mean, I know we're in a live arena, there's a band playing in the background, and there's kind of, like, tannoy systems going off, there's a crowd cheering, there's a show going on, adrenaline and all that, I know you maybe wouldn't hear them, but I mean, there's some of them in the middle, I'm convinced they just never heard, because they were deaf, because they're old, I mean, my, my concern coming into this, similar to what Pete was talking about, is I thought this was just purely a, a Nash and Hall inception, or a a Bischoff concept where it's like, well, we'll get all these student, kind of student frat girls coming in and they'll be 18, 19, 20 year old and it'll just be like a bikini contest. And I mean, by the end of it, I was actually thinking, well, that's probably going to be the lesser of the two evils if we did get that. And it's, I, I don't know, I mean, when you've got Bischoff's up there, right? You've got Buff Bagwell, who's kind of one of the latest charges of the, of the order. I mean, who would you go to, to hire girls for this? Would you go to Bischoff, who's probably going to go to a biker bar and pick them out? Or do you go to Buff, who used to be a stripper? I mean, who's going to have the, the kind of better looking lasses to go into this? That's one point. The I, point I'd go to Scott Hall. Exactly, I was just going to say that. MVP. Probably. I mean... I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not joking about that. In the phrase of the question you explained, I'd go to the kingpin, the guy that's, you know really cool um, I mean that's that's one thing but I mean I think the second kind of worst part of this for me I mean there are a lot of bad parts and thankfully we never got to see too much of it but surely the point in this if it wasn't going to be what I thought it originally was which kind of had my misconceptions about to start we were just getting in hot chicks quote unquote which this certainly was not Surely the point of this would be to make an angle out of it, to get an angle out of it, to get something plausible out of this. I mean, surely this was set up for... I mean, Bob, who's, who's Miss Beauty Contest in WCW? Why the fuck was Deborah McMichael not here interrupting it at the end? Or why does it no build to, or we just, we just kind of took the piss out of all these women on their bikes and we'll get, we're just going to give it to Miss Elizabeth? I mean, there were so many angles out of this that they could have made. I mean, the obvious one, as I say, is just Miss McMichael coming out with a sash on and kind of declaring herself the winner or, you know, oh, fuck the lot of these, we're just going to give it to Liz. I mean, 
I, I just don't see what this did for anybody. I mean, the only positive that you could take out of this is with some of them dancing in the middle, I think Kimona Wanale is pretty safe for a job in the next couple of years. Yeah, I drink all that in. Um, yeah, just, uh, you know, imagine, imagine, you know, like, as you say, like, I, I think the, 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 the sleazy as fuck 18, 19, 20-year-old bikini contest would have at least, you would at least go, well... Yeah, you, know, you would have probably have hammered it almost as much as we have this, but it would have at least made some sense. This was just weird. This the, the reason this happened because the Eric Bischoff got shits and giggles out of it. That's all it was, you know. And admittedly, he didn't, he didn't kiss the hottest woman in the line. You know, I don't necessarily know what that says. Um, but yeah, like this entire show was just Eric Bischoff's vision of something, and we know Bischoff's a biker. You know, and he he was enjoying the fuck out of his own. Nobody else was. The women didn't look particularly comfortable. Um, and yeah, imagine paying twenty seven bucks, whatever it was, for this show, and being like, yeah, we just had this great match, and now this. I mean, this is a this is a Nadia for you know the entire run of this show. I think I feel like it. I, I don't know that we've ever reviewed anything that bad. Like, I think back to all the bad matches, all the really bad angles, all the really, really ill-thought-out booking decisions. I think at the Battle Bowl three years ago, I don't think any of it got this bad. Just this, like, not, at least at least a lot of the other stuff, I felt like someone was trying something. I felt like someone had, you know, had good intentions even if it didn't come off. This is just death. Um, you know, and you're like, who does this appeal to? That's the big question, Dale. Who, who's who's enjoying this segment other than Eric Bischoff? Um, well, I mean, the girl's parents have obviously got a certain level of pride in that, surely. But I've, it's, it's, as you say, it's dreadful. I mean, a, a bad match is a bad match. Fuck it. Everybody has them. We can get and we can get and stink a joint up my Sunday night and then the Monday night we can get another three, four, five minutes and then make the better it and move on. This was, it was a throwaway angle. It was never going to be any more than that. But, I mean, there's there's things that you can do with throwaway angles to at least make them interesting. As you say, who's going who's gonna to talk about this in a positive way? I mean, it's not even up there where, like, can I always talk about water cooler moments and it's not even that. It's like, Everybody's just going to go, what the fuck was that? And it's like, the the, the young guys that kind of tune in it to watch and say, oh, we're going to see some good-looking good looking lassies out here, or oh, this will maybe get CD, and oh, this will be brilliant, and that market's out the window. Another point, how are you going to try, I mean, we're talking about ratings every month, and I mean, how are you going to get to a better demographic with kind of women in wrestling? And I mean, bear in mind... Sherry Martell was sitting in the crowd here. Sherry Martell has fucking bust a gut to try and kind of get women's wrestling and kind of women in wrestling over. And I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, as I say, I was convinced pre-show that it was going to just turn into a bikini model contest. As you said, you said, I think that certainly would be what we're expecting. And it, as much as that's a bad thing, I think personally on a wrestling show, it would have been better than this. But that's just shot on women for me and it's I, I just don't get the point in that I don't agree with it I thought it was shit and I don't know it was 
fucking disgusting. And I'm out of the labels. Pete, any last words? I just I generally think... forget. I just generally. We might end it now. <laughs> I was just thing. When when the NWO had that hotel segment where they Hogan and the guys were all mucking about in the hotel room, and I believe Bischoff in reality was like calling an audible and went to the hotel and said, "Guys, this is shit. Yeah, this is awful." Why didn't he at the start when that guy and this whole thing wasn't working call an audible? Maybe he go out and do the the questions with these women and give it some something because he buried it along with everybody else. But I'm surprised Bischoff, as you say, there was this just purely for Eric Bischoff's amusement and he's, he's alone. But surely he could see, you know, looking out and in, that it was so bad. And he should have just called it or he should have just come out and take over, taken over and done something with it. But he did nothing and it was just, I mean, how, how much time did it take up throughout the whole show? Oh god! I mean, this was, was about eight or nine minutes, and there was pro- yeah, probably about twenty twenty-five. Oh, through minutes. the phone, eight, yeah, he's in twenty twenty-five. Exactly, minutes, it's just ridiculous. I just well, what's left to say? Just absolute, total and utter garbage from start to finish. Yeah, I think that it was best summed up by the fact that the uh, Miss NWO sat on a toilet. Um, yeah. Probably should have put her in it. Uh, the main event, the Giant versus Hollywood Hulk Hogan with three of the Dallas Cowboys and Vincent for the NWO World Heavyweight title. We get a promo from Hogan on the big three screens. Eric Bischoff name checks Vern Gagne and Vincent Mann when talking about who owes Hogan a debt of gratitude. Giant starts out with some hard chops. Hogan legs it around the ring, then cuts Giant off on his way back to the ring. We get to the outside. This is the usual level of Giant-Hogan match we've come to expect. Hogan actually attempts an inside cradle, but Giant blocks it and hits a body slam. We spill to the outside. Hogan chucks some powder into Giant's eyes. Hogan chokes Giant with some wrist tape. Giant heads to the top, comes off with a big elbow drop, but Hogan moves out of the way. Hogan hits the body slam, drops the leg, and Giant gets straight back up. Hogan did it to Vader a couple of years ago. Uh, that's right, yeah. Hogan did it uh, to Vader and Vader did that a couple of years ago. That's right. Uh, Giant's extra choke slam. Looks like Hogan sandbags him a bit, but Giant manages to account for it. Giant covers him, but Patrick pulls up at two. That happens twice more. So Giant hits massive choke slam on Patrick, then on Buff Bagwell. Bischoff runs down with the guitar, and Giant is laying waste to all of the NWO. Bodies everywhere. Hogan smacks Giant in the back of the guitar, then pulls his trunk down to reveal his ass. Hall mercifully covers that up. The crowd loudly chant, we want Sting, who just doesn't appear at any point during the rest of the show. Hogan dumps a wooden chair over Giant. They spray paint NWO for life on Giant's back. And the show finishes, and there's no Sting. I think you said during the match, it was the typical Giant-Hogan match. I mean, I think Hulk Hogan looks so much smaller these days compared to when he took on Andre the Giant back in back in the eighties, clearly. So up against Giant these days, he doesn't. He looks more like a bit of a mismatch, and he looks quite old compared to a very uh, sprightly looking Giant. But um, I quite like the inside cradle kind of hold spot into the uh, into the slam. I think that was quite quite creative from those two in, a, in an otherwise pretty safe safe match. Um, I think the ending was pretty obvious. I think Bischoff had to be involved at some point. Um, I say thank God for Scott Hall, you know, saving us from looking at the Giants' arse for much longer than we had to. Um, but I think the Giant comes off this looking, you know, a little bit weak and a little bit outnumbered and 
that didn't make a lot of sense either. Bear in mind, we'd seen Sting, as you've already mentioned. We've seen the guys around the ring. Why is no one out there giving this guy a hand? You know, he's, he's, he's come out of the NWO to take on take them on and he's just left down lying on his ass being smashed by guitars and spray painted Dalt's the eternal question of most of the NWO stuff isn't it where's the help uh, yeah um, especially when you're seeing kind of these kind of this is kind of tailor made for lasting drop in really um, we've seen it just what four or five days before in Nitro with the entrance in Chicago it's kind of who stands up to the, the NWO I mean I must admit on a night like this I, I would argue against anybody that this should be the night of nights that the NWO should stand for at the end um, contrary, to, contrary to Pete I actually thought the Giant looked pretty good and that's the, the amount of time that he got in the in the match, the fact that Hogan laid in for a Hogan laid in for a big boot, he laid in for a leg drop. Um, it was there was no sales with the two of them. The, the fact that he had it won, the fact that he needed the foreign objects and the the numbers at the end to kind of get to get put down. I thought Giant looked pretty good. I mean, he looks great at the start. Hogan's obviously working a lot. A lot slower these days. Some of that will be conscious, some of that will be subconscious, just with his age and plus the fact he's wrestling as a body these days. I mean, it it kind of helps guys that he's going up against get a bit more air up than they maybe would have in years went by. But um, the the two biggest things for me was one, I'm amazed at, at Hogan staying down for as long as he did with the refusal of the, the three count for Patrick, the the no sells to the the big boot and the leg drop. I, I thought Giant looked pretty decent, and as I say, I think it was right that the NW should stand tall at the end. Yeah, um, this was a bad match, but I, I, I guess we kind of knew it was going to be a bad match. I mean, I, I guess the kind of you know the, the surprise is that I'm not surprised. The surprise is that Hogan and Giant matches have actually seemed to have gotten a little bit worse. The surprise is to a point that WCW keep going back to it, even given how bad it's traditionally been. Um, yeah, it was just, you know, like it's, it was about as good as I expected it to be. And the answer is I expected it to be not very good, and it just wasn't. Um, and as I kind of said earlier, like the, I Pete, the, the Nick Patrick stuff really fell off a cliff after a while, and this was like, this was really the, the bottoming out of it like you know I've been a, as big a fan of Nick Patrick as anybody in the last six months I got the end of this year I was like fuck this like you know they ran that into the ground that, that's the trouble I think you have the, the over-reliance on, on Nick Patrick and, but seeing him in one-off matches doing that is entertaining and we, we all fell for that probably sort of the tail end of last year but to see an entire show of Nick Patrick referee matches was completely just, it was overkill beyond overkill. So I just, I, just, I just, I think you're right. Before the end of the last match, we should have had a change in referee just to chase up a little bit, put a bit more importance to the to the title match at the end. Um, and where does Nick Patrick kind of go from here as well? I suppose is another thing to think about moving forward. Del, before we hit our end of show ratings and scores, um, NWO as a show. They've, they've been talking for a while about NWO Monday Nitro. Whether we're going to get there or not, I don't know. 
Um, but are we, you know, uh, I've been saying this since the start, but is this definitive proof that this whole NWO brand concept just won't work? I think what, what certainly I always go back to is the full kind of Fonzie, um, Fonzie jet skiing incident. Kind of how I don't think they've quite jumped the shark yet, but they're getting quite close. Um, we had we had different opinions on the, the first ever NWO hour on Nitro. I thought it was pretty cool. Giant was obviously still in the black and white at that point. I thought he was pretty funny. But I thought that had legs. This coming in, I was very excited for this, and I thought it delivered to an extent for me, which will obviously come on to more from my talk about the show itself. But I think the... The biggest issue for me, can I come close the show before we review it, is the Patrick kind of side. I mean, the last time I can remember somebody being in as many matches as this was Savio Vega. And Savio Vega was certainly not set up in the way that Nat Patrick was coming into this, where it was like Savio Vega was born before that, and that just didn't help. This, I think, kind of puts a bit of a shadow on the... The Nick Patrick King where it's in, in fits and starts, it works. But when you've got it for a night, and I mean, God love him, he worked his arse off. I mean, I, I can't mind the last time I've seen a referee go that go that long in a night. But it kind of, there was definite lows to this. And I think, I think the Nick Patrick and NWO bit, certainly, they've got two, kind of before that show, they've got two hot angles there that, have got repetitive value but when they're exposed in a stage as big as this, it's got to be something pretty special, I mean it's up there with lightning in a bottle for being able to carry it off and I just think they, they let too much of that lightning out Yeah, I, I agree with Dale I think, you know, it was um, one of those things where you're looking at it from a complete standpoint and, and it, it kind of almost can the NWO as a standalone entity be that? I think without anything up against it, no. And I think if you let Eric Bischoff's idea of the NWO kind of take over, this isn't going to last very long in that sense at all. So uh, hopefully this is a bit of a, a shot in the arm and when everything's come back in and people looking at, looking at the show in sort of a month's time or a few weeks' time, because the beginning of the month of the Nitros have been absolutely brilliant. I mean, the last, the mention of the last Nitro was fantastic, you know, great show. The Clash was a decent show. We've obviously already reviewed that. Then you come to this as the NWO pay-per-view and it's like, oh dear, it has dropped massively and the whole concept, I think, I know Dell uh, obviously likes the whole concept, but I think when you're so used to having kind of WCW an NWO and you have a completely NWO only themed pay-per-view it just I think it was too much to probably take all in on one show yeah um, I've kind of I've been through this enough times before it just the NWO was at its best before it was the NWO when it was a couple of guys rallying against the establishment almost um, <clears throat> the longer time goes on I mean the angle has, has swelled in popularity but the and the creativity and the intelligence of the storyline has, has plummeted. Um, and, you know, this this has proven almost beyond doubt a fair number of things, which is one, you know, the idea that a, an NWO-led show 
could work over any length of time, I think has been debunked. I think we now know that to be wrong. The idea that you can put anyone in an NWO shirt, Wall Street, Norton, Six, Chono, etc., etc., Bagwell. The idea that you can put anyone in an NWO shirt and make them relevant is, I think, categorically false. I think what we're kind of seeing to a point is that we're kind of seeing you put someone in an NWO shirt and you drag the NWO down. Um, and, you know, that's not a good thing either. And, Dal, it comes back to what I said before, and I was being pretty serious when I said it last month. I feel like this group is 70% Scott Hall, 28% Kevin Nash, a couple of percent of Hulk Hogan, and let's not underestimate Hogan's role in the effectiveness of this angle when it began. But I feel like this group, the more you add to it, the not only do you dilute the whole angle, I'm beginning to wonder whether you're beginning to dilute the guys at the top. It's very, very close, if not already happened. I'd say that the dilution, the dilution to an extent is inevitable. I mean, when you when you start off with a nucleus of kind of two guys and then the implosion of that third guy, I mean, it was like a big bang. And then since then, it's just been kind of whether it's had an in Wall Street or Norton or... I mean, it, it's been kind of in a bit of a, a downward spiral since... Really, as you say, the, the three guys were in it, and I mean, the, the easiest comparison I can make is it must be what are we end of January? It must be about five, six months ago, last summer anyway. You had an oasis at Nebworth, right? There's a build up before that, a couple of years, and it builds up to this big peak, which is kind of similar. With, I mean, I know an, an oasis in a Nebworth, a quarter of a million people, and this is just an NWO pay per view. But there's comparisons there where. It, it kind of gets so big to a point there's not really anything else you can do I mean what was knowing Liam Gallagher going to do after he walked off stage the second night at Nebworth with you then and it's like what do you do after an NWO pay-per-view when when you've pretty much put everything out there that you've got for a roster point of view you do it with all the angles that you've got with kind of rolling out a rolling out a wonder wall with fucking DDP turning in the NWO we've seen it What's, what's next? You've got Sting Disney show up, you've got the Nick Patrick stuff that kind of just get exposed in every possible sense We we kind of what they, what they had in the tank going in that was good and then it just kind of dwindled off if if we need to see new things for the NWO is it going to be on a par with last July or is it going to be on a par with a fucking missed NWO contest? Is that what we've came to now when we've got that many kind of factions in this? That that's, that's the kind of best new ideas that we've got? I mean, it's as much as I'm still on board with it and as much as I think it does stand alone in a three-year show, which I'll need to argue my point for in a couple of minutes, it's it's at a point now where it's, well, what else have we got? We've seen it. We've, we've had the first few months. We've had the the influx of new members. What's next? You, you can't live for you can't live for what happened yesterday. You've always got to live for the morrow, and it's what comes tomorrow. And I, I think at this point they're kind of struggling. Pete, overall thoughts on this show and a score any out of ten. Okay, where do we start? I think um, the whole thing from start to finish was something completely that we've not seen before. Uh, I'll go with the rating first. I'm going to give it a three. And I'm going to give it a three based on 
six versus Eddie Guerrero. If you can give um, it a three closer to your mic, Pete, that'd be appreciated. Are you sorry. sitting on Miss NW's toilet, Pete? I'm not, unfortunately. One moment, sorry. I've had to move location. Sorry. I can hear you rattling around, but yes, it's... Uh... Sorry about that. It's all right. Three out of so, ten. Three out of ten based on six and Eddie Guerrero. Um, I didn't like the third camera. I thought that looked... The, the slight colours and the angles that we were shooting. The ring announcer you could barely hear. We only heard the NWO music twice, the proper NWO theme, which really has got them over in that sense. Um, I just think it was a, a weird night all round and not a great um, embodiment of the NWO. Um, I think the two coolest guys, Nash and Hall, went on there enough probably as well to really put it over. I think you made a great point there, Dell, that you know the NWO are, or oh, sorry, Bob did originally, that the NWO were, Norman Hall and Nash, up against everybody. It was those two who came into the rival organisation in that angle. And it's just, you know, now you've got all these feeder guys and it just, it wasn't enough to put the show over for like a two-hour, 40-minute pay-per-view. I watched it in three sittings, I think, over sort of the four nights in the end in, in chunks, which is not a good sign when you're watching a show. Um, so I'm going to go for three. Del. Here we go. First things first, I said it at the start, I've said it through, I'm going to say it now. It was different which this had to be, that if if this delivered on one level, it had to be that it was different. It's no WCW, it's no NWA, it's NWO, and it had to feel like the NWO, and this did. There wasn't great wrestling matches in it, with the obvious exception of the ladder match. I wouldn't even say, apart from that, there's one that you had to see, but I just thought the night was brilliant. The, the Miss NWO thing was god-awful, but the arena felt cool the the different lighting at the stage the three screens the music getting cut out for WCW there was a lot of thought went into this and I think it was more just an over-reliance on dependable acts whether it's the the Tony DDP the Nick Patrick stuff on Nick Patrick as much as it did start to dwindle that man worked a hell of a shift and as I say he come up with creative ends for matches which there were at points in this I thought they did well it just kind of got a bit much at the end um, but I mean for me having a having a show like this where you've got so much that's different, you've got so much that looks cool the fact that you've not got a sting you've not got a Luger, got Savage Flair, Benoit, Arn, Malenko Conan the Harlem Heat Ultimo Dragon Eater without having all of these kind of roster members in this I thought they still put on a fucking decent show um, was there flaws? Definitely was there a lack of maybe wall-to-wall wrestling action by the 15-20 minutes you go in one match? Definitely but it was an NWO night, I thought it looked cool I thought it was cool, as a one and done I'm very much behind this I'm still, I'm still sticking to my guns. I'm giving it a solid seven. 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 Wow. Originally, I was pushing an eight, but I'm giving it a seven because you can't really have a match. Seven out of what? I'm still sticking to ten. It's not not, not to a hundred. Seven out of ten. Seven out of ten. And Come I stand on. by it. And I'll argue at the end of it. 
I'm going to get on a train to Scotland and have a smoke or whatever Dell's been on at the moment. Um, this show was a disaster. This is this show was one match away, one very very good ladder match away from being, without much question, the worst thing to ever call itself a wrestling pay per view ever. It was self indulgent. It was horrendous to watch. The in-ring action was bad. It was indicative of a group that's, uh, you know, creatively from WCW's perspective that have got greedy. Um, you know, it was indicative of, you know, a lack of control, a lack of, you know, someone, someone's got to be saying no to Eric Bischoff right now. Someone's got to have that, that idea that, look, this, you know, this might be your plaything, come what may, but you've got to have some control. And that's kind of the problem with the NWO. When the NWO's got nothing to fight against, it's this. And this was death. The Miss NWO thing, just the... We could do a show for another 50 years. This may be the worst thing we ever see. I mean, it was that bad. And it's just like, what's the... What's the game plan here? What's the goal? You know, and, and, and the big point that we never really got to is that... I, I feel like Hogan and Giant, with the exception of Hogan and Luger's the big match they've got, I feel like they've burnt us out on Hogan and Giant. And the other thing is, I don't really feel like this angle's got that many legs right now. I know business is really hot. I know they're selling a shitload of tickets, they're selling a shitload of merchandise, but from experience, what tends to happen with these kind of storylines is that the business trends generally follow a lot further behind from the strength of the action. And business might go up a while on the basis that what happened in the last six months. But if they can't follow this up, I think at some point the, you know, at some point the tides are going to turn. It's going to start to come the other way unless they can be better than this. I mean, we talk about eyes. This is your core audience. You know, if you bought this show, it would have been a lot of WCW's regular buyers and a lot of people that just bought on the off chance. Who who got to the end of this and went? I got my money's worth. Me. I, 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 Del. <laughs> Del got to the end and thought he To be fair, I did get the tape off of you, so I did technically get my That's true. Worth. That's true. You got my money's worth. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, one and a half out of ten for me. Is that the lowest score? Um, uh, oh, that's a good question. I don't think we've went below a two or a three. Yeah. Um... Well, we, we never formally reviewed Battle Bowl. Battle Bowl would have got a one. We never formally did it. Um, that that show's still kind of pending. I may actually add on another point to this show, just for it now being <laughs> your new measure of yardstick for getting ready. Oh, Battle God. Bowl. I mean, it was That's only one. Point, I, I mean, it's a hell of a show that there's a, a lot of matches that good that could be on a show that way. God knows, they, 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 just for a show less than one and a half. I don't think so. Not formally. We've had the odd two, the odd two and a half, but yeah. I mean, as I say, like th- there is something to be said that this is a one and a half out of ten show, but it doesn't le- it's, it's If you watch the first 30, 40 minutes, it's rarely boring. It gets very boring after that, but it's not like a one and a half show where it's, you know, Battle Bowl's one and a half show, don't get anywhere near it. This is like, there's enough intrigue in this, but God, it goes downhill fast. Yeah, one and a half out of ten from I would like to bring down the man who is in that ring at this time. Referee Randy Anderson. You want us to beat him up? No, don't beat him up. Come on down. 
Where is that one? He's up in the ring. Hey, what do you know? Nepotism runs rampant in WCW. This redneck has a job because he's related to somebody. Now, I've said before that we would have a Come level here, play. You Front and center. Pick up that microphone. Sir? I want you to tell me. Hold on. Hold on. All right. What were you thinking last night? I was just referring to no, 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 no. No, I don't think you get it. First of all, what were you doing in the building? The promoter gave me a ticket for the event, WCW. What it was sold out, I believe, Mr. sucker. Mr. Murnick, give me a ticket. You mean to tell me that a WCW promoter gave you a ticket? Is that what you're telling me? Yes, sir. And how much did you pay for that ticket? It was a gift. A gift? Yeah, I'm going to give you yes, something. Sir. No, 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 we'll take care of this. A gift. Yes, sir. Are you familiar at all with company policy relating to receiving gifts from other WCW employees? No, sir. Ignorance is no excuse, Randy Anderson. The fact is, you cannot accept payola. You cannot accept freebies of any kind. Do you, you realize that you violated company policy? No, sir. I just thought I was doing my job. No, you didn't do your job. No, the Steiners were the ones doing the job. They were beat. I'll tell you what. I know that you've had a tough year. About with cancer. I know. I, I don't want to hear about your personal problems. I know that you've had a tough year. But under the circumstances, I have there is I have no other choice. You are hereby terminated. <laughs> You're fired. I'm watching children. I'm watching I don't want to hear about your family problem. I'm telling you, you were fired. Good luck. Uh, I, hey, I wish you the best. Hard to do it. Hard to do it. We kick off the follow up to Sold Out with Bischoff and the Outsiders on commentary. They run down the finish to last night's tag title match, saying how they had it won before Randy Anderson counts to three. The ref gets called up to explain himself, Bischoff reads in the right act and he gets sacked live on TV. Kind of a segment that. Out comes the Steiners and they're told to return their titles. Scott throws his at Bischoff, Rick throws his on the concrete. Steiners then get the better of Meng and Barbarian with Scott winning with a belly to belly. Tony and Larry take over, they recap the opener. They can't show footage as it was an NWO show, but they still show stills from Saturday night. Roadblock's back and he gets squashed by the Giant who calls out Hogan for a rematch tonight. Next we get Jarrett and Eddie. Again, Michael's making an appearance. Deborah tries to get Mongo to hit Eddie with the briefcase, but Michael goes for Jarrett instead. Deborah then raises Jeff's hand for the DQ win. Tony tells us he's miraculously gained the gold dust footage from Starcade showing Piper beating Hogan. It gets cut before the final drop of Hogan's arm. Out comes Bischoff to rip up the master tape, and because it's the only one, we'll never see it again. Osmo Dragon beats the debuting Billy Pearl, who looks more evenly matched in stature to Sonny Ono. The entire horseman join Gene on the stage. Flair says they're reunited. Benoit tells Sullivan to let it go. Hour 2 starts with the debuting Ron Powers getting racked before Gina interviews Luger. He says the NWO is running wild, but he and Giant are WCW. Tanae and Brian join us and they talk about Randy Savage before showing us Randy Anderson. First up, we get the amazing French Canadians losing to Arn and Mongo. 
Devon Storms back in the team with Ace, Ace Darling in a title match against National Hall. Extreme looked like a junior school, uh, junior high Breton Owen Hart. The outsiders win with an outsider's edge. Joe Gomez then gets a solo run out without Wenegade and quickly squashed by the Taskmaster. Hogan enters with Bischoff and Liz. They continue their revisionist history of Hogan's easy win, adding Giant to the list of Piper and Savage. Sting and Savage look on. Hogan seems to accept Giant's challenge for tonight. And on the new face in Jerry Flynn, he taps to Dean Malenko's Cloverleaf. At the desk, a cop delivers an envelope for a championship committee to Shivoni. He tells the live crowd Hogan must defend his title at Super Bowl against Roddy Piper. In ring, Benoit and Hugh Morris go at it. Morris misses his moonsault, but Taskmaster's new woman distracts. Sullivan chairs Benoit and Morris wins. Gene questions Sullivan. Hart expresses his disgust and the new woman gives an interview. She's a pocket rocket. We come back with six minutes of airtime remaining for the main event. Hogan takes the mic and says he'll take both Piper and the Giant right now. Curtis calls the bell, despite Vincent already be kicking the down Giant. We get a couple of minutes of back and forth. Vincent comes in, Bischoff comes in, Giant sets for a choke slam, and the outsiders force the DQ. Luger comes out in a Nitro shirt, the four stand off, and we go off the air. <laughs> get out of here, you jabrung. I'll and ask your cousin or your inbred nephew, whatever it is, maybe he can hook you up. And you know what? Else. We're not uh, done. We're not done. Somebody bring the Steiner brothers out here now. All right. All right. Now you're talking. We Where got are they? Where are the they? people want to see bring them out the here people's right choice, the working man's team. You want to see the real tag champs, Big Kev, Big Scott, ready to do it. I want to... Watch this, dude. This could be sweet. Come on out, gentlemen. Come here, you two goose. Come on out. Come here. Come here. This one you want. Give me the big jack. This is going to be here. real easy. Stay right there. You don't need to get any closer. You can hear me just fine, I'm sure. Gentlemen, in case you just didn't see what happened, Randy Anderson was fired. He was terminated. <laughs> Because he got involved in a match that he was not licensed to get involved in, and he received gratis. That's a gift from someone that's he should have received. That's the way to slow down for these guys to understand it. Bottom line is, guys, leave the belt with the champs. Right here. You are stripping the, the real belt. champs. Give them up. No. No. No, no way. No, hey. no way. Dogface. Give us that belt. I am the highest ranking official in WCW. I am telling you right now. And we are the best tag team. It we want the belts now. My decision, Fire it's final. Fire Leave the belts here or you'll be a breach of contract. That's simple. Yeah. I want the belt, but I want them now. We're running short of time, and you've got a match. Give me the belt now. Dog face, I want yours. You have the belt, oh! oh, look at that. Look at that. Pick it up. Pick it up. I tell you what, don't pick it up. Don't pick it up. And don't bother picking up your paycheck for the next six months. Because you, my friends, are going to be fine for that action. Now go up to the ring and arrest. So, 
on to the final television of the month. A few things to discuss. A big angle up top, a couple of other things we'll discuss, and also something that we, we didn't get to during part one that'll be a bit more newsy at the end. So, we open up this month's show, as we've covered in the TV review that you just heard. Oh, this, this, this week's Nitro, sorry. Bischoff and uh, the Outsiders are on commentary already. They show us uh, last night's match, and they called out Randy Anderson, who's already in the ring. And in the promo you just heard, Bischoff runs down Randy Anderson, mentions, you know, Anderson, he, he says, this, I, we talk about shit TV on, on the page, this is great. Bischoff says, I know you've been going through a lot this past year, and Anderson goes, I, I, I've been suffering from cancer. Bischoff's like, I don't care. What a great line. <laughs> what a prick. Um, and then, yeah, Bischoff fires Randy Anderson, then they call out the starters. And he, uh, I tell you, let's talk about this first. Um, Pete, Eric Bischoff, as a we we discussed before on our previous shows about potentially how mil uh, misinformed, how ill-informed, how badly timed Bischoff's term was, and how much more it could have meant. But the one thing I think it's very difficult to deny: Bischoff was a fucking brilliant heel. This was this is the best Eric Bischoff I've ever seen. Which is why he should have played a bigger part in the NWO sold-out show itself. Rather than just being the commentator, he should have been all over all the angles and stomping himself all over there. Because this was a, a, a to, to have the the goal to say that to a guy. And I think they actually put some stuff out in the press to get it over, didn't they? Regarding Randy Anderson's sort of cancer battle that he's been going through, and then Bischoff just stands there and fires him there and then and get out of the way and see you later. And it was like, wow, you know, that's what this guy needs to get himself over as the as the, the main man of the NWO and kind of the you know, along with Hogan, he is the NWO, isn't he? He has all the stroke and he does everything backstage and he runs the show and he definitely proved it here. Del It's it's very, very close to art imitating life. It's like how much is Eric Bischoff the character a prick and how much is Eric Bischoff just a prick? And it's it's at the point where I don't actually care because it's just so compelling and it is so believable that he can do it. I I thought they'd done the angle brilliant and it it, it was just the kind of muttering under his breath. God love Randy Anderson and his struggles in the last year and just to have it so instantly dismissed and to have it so instantly dismissed with the utter joy that Bischoff had in doing it, he's... He's a very, very compelling character, but as I say, I think it's just for how much it imitates who he actually is. Yeah, um, Bischoff in this role is fantastic. Uh, Bischoff, you know the, yeah, and this is kind of what I talk about when we talk about you know, the NWO not having anything to fight against. It didn't work two nights previously because it was just Bischoff you know, having a bit of fun. This was Bischoff being a dick in a WCW environment. It's great. Anderson did his role really well. The outsiders are okay, you know, but Bischoff like this, I mean, he's, uh, you know, they've got to give him stuff to work with, but when they're giving stuff like this, like he, you know, it was, I, I think that angle, you know, to a point, I think that story would have resonated with a lot of people. We've all been spoken to like that, you know, not in the, not necessarily in the context of that, but in that kind of style. We've all been there, and, you know, if Bischoff can, can draw from that kind of, draw to that kind of real life emotion 
he'll have no problems. So anyway, the angle continues. Bischoff calls out Stardust because he wants to right the wrong from the from, from two nights before in the title match. Dell, did it not look a bit shit that the Stardust just handed the titles back over? I know Bischoff was threatening them with their jobs, etc. But it's, you know, we've, we've got to have some back and forth. But this will be a real good time for WCW, for WCW particularly Stardust to stand up. Um, I think it's the risk you're on with live TV as much as anything else. For the, they gave quite a lot of time at the start to the the kind of highlights for the night before, and obviously he's, he's the only one with the videotape. Um, as we've just heard, for WCW kind of show the show, but kind of NWO can. They kind of spent quite a lot of time in that, and obviously they've got the the entrance and they're trying. I think they were just trying to spin too many plates at the one time with. We having having the outsiders and Bischoff Oatman, having the Randy Anderson stuff, having the highlights and having the Steiners get into the match, they did have a limited time frame that they could work that they could work that stuff in. Um they they tried to make the best of it as they could, whether it's um whether it's Scotty throwing it down or whether it's Rick kinda of holding it up and telling them come and get it if you want it. They tried to make the most of it that they could, but I think it was more just a, a kind of prisoner of the, the time restraints than anything else. Yeah, um, I, you know, I, I think there should have been more to this. I feel like this should, you know, we talk about WCW not standing up. This would have been a good time to start. Um, Pete, they just about got away with it, but you know, this this emancipation of WCW's acts. Like, you know, that's not going to stick for that long. I think you're right. I think it made Steiners just, you know, they've won the tag team title. They are the Steiner brothers. They are WCW. And they just threw the belts on the floor and kind of walked away. And it was like, you know, okay, then that's it. You just kind of, you're not fighting against the machine. You're not bothered in, in a sense. You don't even try and set up a match maybe on the show or do anything like that. You just drop the titles and accept what's coming your way. And I think that's what you don't need to happen. That's why someone like Dallas Page is getting over so much because he is anti-authority and he is taking people out as he goes along. And the signers was an opportunity to make a bit of a stand and it didn't happen, which was a shame. And Dal, the other thing is you kind of mentioned this weird oddity of WCW right now that apparently <laughs> each pay-per-view only has one take. It's that, there's, uh, there's one master uh, and that's that. Um, uh, Bischoff can come out and rip it up. And we'll, uh, well, to be honest, <laughs> let's, let's be fair, right? If, if if no physical evidence of this show ever exists, if we're the only three people to have ever seen it, <laughs> we might all be better off for it. Um, I don't know whether it's just Bischoff thinks he's George Orwell or what it is. I mean, the, the fact that in this day and age, I mean... Every time we see NWO kind of paid for commercials coming up, we're getting the website there. It's the internet's getting bigger and bigger, and they're trying to convince people that there's one master tape and nobody else owns the rights of the the physical property. You just ran a pay per view. I taped it. You taped it. I mean, no. I mean, it's 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 almost like the ECW shoot fight stuff, where it's like you kind of try to tease these real life situations. But then at the same time, you just kind of pass on common sense. And you kind of need a lot of common sense to kind of get into wrestling. And it, it's, it's quite, it, it, as admirable as it is, and as downright ridiculously funny that it can be, it's quite a hard, quite a hard tightrope to walk, as much as I enjoy it. 
Pete? Yeah, I mean, obviously referring to the um, the Roddy Piper sleeper hold, I'm guessing, aren't we, with the tape? Is that right? Is that what you're... Uh, yeah, yeah. That was it. That one or was it the end? I can't remember. I, I forgot. Uh, they were trying to show they they got the. Uh, I think it was the the tape that they tried to play was the Starcade finish, and they got to right. the second drop of the hand, and then back and off suddenly it. It, it, it did his bit of work on the, on yeah. the on the video, and we couldn't see the end. Like no one's seen that, obviously, and we can't see it ever again in our lives. So yeah. <sighs> don't, uh, yeah, I don't know. You suspend disbelief, I suppose, in that sense, and that's as far as it goes. So. A weird attention for detail for a company that doesn't have much attention to detail. We finish with one more story. We we'll go back a couple of weeks on uh, on, on TV. Uh, as WCW were kind of, you know, with uh, with, with uh, TBS, TNT, or whatever it's called. What's the network called again? Of what they showed on? Uh, they're on Thunder. TBS. TBS. They're on the Super Station. That's the one. And uh, the the Nitro was the leading for a, a, a new episode of Robin Hood, um, and so they decided that they would start the main event of Giant versus Hulk Hogan with about two minutes left to go in Nitro, and then they said tune back in during the breaks of Robin Hood, and you can watch the rest of the match. What clever! But unfortunately, the breaks that the match appeared in were, I believe, the first one and like the fourth, and so. Obviously, it's not the match wasn't going on for that long, and I do love the idea they were presenting it like Giant Hogan was like a forty-five minute long match. Giant wasn't fifty they, minutes, brother. <laughs> probably, I probably would have taken that and sold out. But they, you know, they they did this thing, and and not that we saw it, we just saw the you know, the, the edit that got this side of the pond was just matches with 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 cuts in, and that was. The, Exactly how they take it. They just take the match and they just spliced in two bits in the ad break. Clever, but I think if I'm a WCW fan, understandably a bit pissed off the 45 minutes of Robin Hood. Or have a long Yeah, especially when you've got the Giant Hogan as well as, as your main match and you're having to watch uh, Robin Hood and then try and hope that when you tune in back from the commercial, you're going to get you know the match itself and you only get two cuts into the two commercial breaks we saw before we the end of the match. And it was a concept drawn out of trying to get ratings, obviously for, for Turner and Robin Hood, at the detriment probably of, of Nitro and WCW, I suppose, in that sense. I think that's what that was all about. And it, did it work? Were, were, did, did the ratings for Robin Hood improve or did Nitro suffer at all because of it? It was okay. The, the ratings for Robin Hood were very good opening night out. I know they were a lot lower the following week. Um, I, I think, you know... A lot of people tuned in to, to see the end of that. So, yeah, it works. In that sense, you're right. Um, but I don't know that that's something they should necessarily think of repeating all that often. No. I, it, I... It, it, it's, not, it's not something that, you know, there's there's ways of providing certain lead-ins by doing certain things. But this feels so arbitrary and so unorganic. I don't think it works. Well, I mean, it's not a, it's not a coincidence that, Raw and Nitro, if Raw's live, Nitro starts at 7.58, and then Raw starts at 7.57, then Nitro starts at 7.56. I mean, there's, there's a lot of this goes on. I mean, when you're talking about millions and millions of dollars on an annual basis of live TV and getting the revenue in and then getting the the ad costs and, and things like that, I mean, it, it makes sense. But, I mean, the, the way that they've done this, I, I just thought it just reeked to desperation. I mean, we, we had a lot of talk about fair a kind of TV output point of view in the, the first couple of weeks of the month, which is why we're bringing that up now, but it does merit talking about because this, 
it, it just stunk of desperation. I mean, it's like, well, how how shit is Robin Hood in a sense where it's like you need to kind of emblazon it with this kind of stuff to get numbers up? But then at the same point, well, how undervalued is Nitro when you've got two hours? I mean, Raw the last time I watched it was an hour long and they seem to manage to fit everything in pretty decent. They can still have Shatner coming out and talking about tech war and well, it does that that Raw's taped about six weeks in advance. Well, true, but, I mean, it's just... I think this is the, the problem when you get when you've got a, that kind of conflict of interest between a wrestling company and a TV company. Well, what are they? Is it, is it TBS that's running WCW? Is it WCW that's running TBS and helping it kind of notch its ratings up? I mean, it's just a conflict of interest that's manageable to an extent as long as it stays out of the main product, which we know that we're not here to talk about kind of TBS and their kind of fall output coming up in six months. We're here to talk about the wrestling and if it affects the wrestling, it deserves a mention. And I just thought it was... I mean, it wasn't as if they were trailing the barrel, but I, I just think it got made into something that it shouldn't really have needed to be. I mean, you've got a big season premiere coming up. Plug it, get the commercials out, target the demographics and then just deliver a good TV product. The fact that it just kind of shot on the the main event of WCW and I mean how many how many times they are moaning about Shivani kind of leading into something after a commercial that's never spoke about again how many times do we get kind of carrot teases of the carrot teases of title matches and then they don't hurt them or kind of big switches with titles and then they get taken away 20, well, 48 hours later I mean it's just there's there's only so much baiting and switching that you can get away with, and I think they just kind of pushed that a wee bit far last time. Yeah, I think it's worth saying that I don't get the sense this was all on WCW. I think the, the network wanted to do it, and I think the impression WCW were under was it was just going to be the first two breaks. I don't think they realised it's going to be quite drawn out as it was. But yeah, it, 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 it's not great. It's Yeah, I mean, it works. I mean, you say the, the, the ratings clearly helped um, the, the lean for Robin Hood, but you know. I, it's not the kind of thing that's going to work all that often, and I do love the idea, you know, Giant Hogan, forty-five minute long Broadway, you know, that kind of thing. That, would be great. Uh, that will wrap up this month's show, the second of two parts. Thank you very much to Peter Kimber. Pete, thank you very much. Thanks, that, Bob. Pleasure as always. Uh, tell people where they can find your podcast, where they can find you, and anything else you'd like to say. You can find me on Twitter at, at pkimber1. There's no Michael Bube references on there, though. You'll be pleased to hear everybody. And I do have a podcast uh, card subject to change, which is more modern WWE and British wrestling interviews, etc. Leading up to the uh, out of twenty years mode, the next show is our big Royal Rumble taping upcoming. So, uh, yeah, that's me. Next shows are, but uh, no, it's got you to in the middle. Close enough. Uh, and Del Muir, Del, presenting the first part of this show and guessing on the second half. Good to have you back in the always, rotation. Always a pleasure, Bob, and it's always nice to fight my corner against the ever growing tides of yourself. Seven out of ten. Yeah. Solid seven. N- nearly an eight. An eight. It was pushing it. Nearly. Well, all right. Del, but where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, people can find me at NW. Oh, no, sorry, we're out of 20 years ago. You can find me on Twitter at Del underscore Muir. Although, at NW. Is that NW? No, NW Glasgow can't exist, can it? Or, NW, or is it NW? NW, NW Glasgow will be coming there, right near you. NW Glasgow. You might be alright, actually. Let's have a look. Uh. No, you look all right. You might be able to get that in. The license is fine. Where are they? 
should be there. Uh, yes, uh, two other volumes for you and one other part. If for some some reason you've you've stumbled across this part or you've listened to it, sort this part out, we have a part one to this show where we go through all the news, the clash, and all the TV leading up to this point. Uh, volume one is the WWF looking at the Royal Rumble, and ECW is in volume number three. In mind that we are on Patreon for five bucks a month. You'd like to say thank you and get access where possible to our early shows. This month is a weird month. I get the feeling I'm going to be editing this all on the final weekend. But where possible, where I can get shows edited in advance, patrons do get early access to that. Always just want to say thank you for us pumping your lives full of the best and the worst of wrestling from the, the mid to late 90s. You can find out more information about that at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20RS. Links on the website and in the podcast description. Anyway, speaking of the website, wrestling20RS.com, I've uploaded, I think about three pieces across about 17,000 words in the last week, covering end-of-year reviews to WWF, WCW and ECW for 1996. So go and seek those out if you haven't already. Uh, lots of other stuff on there, back episodes, links to everything you need. Uh, and that'll do that. I've been Bob Bamber. This has been the WCW slash NWO edition of the January 1997 Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye.